Amen. Well, if you could take your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Romans, chapter number 12. <clears throat> of course, Bob Gorski's dad, Ray, needs prayer. Uh, his health is uh, not well, and he's up 88 years old, I think. My dad's 90. Pray for him. Jean Arnold had a tumor the size of an egg removed from her brain. It was cancerous. And now facing 13 weeks, she just finished her second week of radiation, and uh, I'm talking about Monday through Friday, every day, uh, she's going to Roswell for radiation. Pray for her. God's working in her family. I've been talking to uh, members there and, and all these things. So much to pray about. Let's be men and women of prayer. I want to talk about the deportment of the believer in Christ, but I think I better define that word. Do you know what deportment means? Deportment? Kelly? It's how you conduct yourself. It's how you conduct yourself, your behavior. Amen. The book of Romans is, you know, without a doubt, one of the most important books in the Bible. In fact, uh, some have for so long compiled it with the Gospel of John. And sometimes you'll hear somebody just spit out the phrase, John and Romans, uh, like the uh, Maluchis over there in Bulgaria. They've passed out over a million John Romans. They just go, they've covered half of the country of Bulgaria. And uh, putting John Romans in mailboxes. That means the Gospel of John, one of the 66 books of the Bible, and the Book of Romans, one of the 66 books of the Bible, both in the New Testament, are compiled into a little booklet and distributed because there just seems to be a lot of acceptance in the body of Christ of how important those two books are to the start of a person's uh, Christian life and walk in the Lord, and I, I think I try to almost always steer people to the Gospel of John to begin their walk with the Lord. I, you know, Genesis is important, read the whole thing, but you probably get bogged down around the time you get to Leviticus and wonder what the, what's the Bible about. But uh, so the Bible's like a library, that's what the word Bible means library. And uh, just like if you go to a library, you don't necessarily pick the first book on the shelf and say, I'm going to read this one, then I'm going to read the next book, and the next one until I finally get to the one I want. Uh, No, you you look for the book you want, and you go and you take that and you check it out. Well, the Bible's the same way. It's It's a library. All the books should be read, and they all should be read over and over and over again, and eventually we hope you get to that point where you're just addicted to doing that in your Christian life, where you just read the Bible through over and over and over again. It's not that hard to do. 20 minutes a day, an average reader can read through the Bible from cover to cover in one year. And uh, some of you read through the Bible two or three times a year, and it's good to have that in the church. But uh, it's pretty much universally uh, accepted about the importance of the doctrine of the book of Romans uh, uh, taking us from the apostolic age uh, and, and the time of Christ into the church age and the, the epistles to the churches and so on in, in establishing us in doctrine. Now, we're going to look at the book of Romans tonight, chapter 12, some of the verses here. The, uh, the book of Romans could be very easily outlined in two points. Chapters 1 through 11, doctrine. Chapters 12 through 16, deportment. All right? Chapters 1 through 11, doctrine. What, what doctrine there is in the book of Romans? 
chapters 1 through 11. But then it shifts, and chapter 12 on through 16 talks about the deportment or the conduct of the believer. Both are important, and both should be stressed early in the Christian life, because, to be honest with you, I know I have known people, and I think I've been one myself at times, where the doctrine is so important, but we don't have the deportment in trying to teach the doctrine that we turn people off. And we'll see what that means here about that another way that you could uh, outline the book of Romans in two points is chapters 1 through 11, what we believe, chapters 12 through 16, how we behave. And we've always said that a fundamentalist is one who gets their beliefs and their behavior from the Bible. Because if we just get our beliefs from the Bible and we try to share that with a lost and dying world, but we don't have the behavior down, uh, we're going to do some great damage to the lost and perhaps even in the church. Uh, if there's somebody who's so doctrinally minded, and you know me, I'm, I'm Mr. Doctrine. I mean, I just, I just believe in doctrine because I know how emotionalism and inspiration won't even get you across the street. It won't even get you into Monday. But doctrine will keep you standing vertical spiritually up until Christ comes. If you know what you believe and why you believe it. Uh, but the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. I think we're living in those times. But if we're going to have the doctrine right, we need to have the behavior right too. I love the story about Stephen, even though it didn't end well. When he was giving out his doctrine, it was just flowing out of him like water. I don't know if you, I don't know if you ever read that sermon in Acts chapter 7. He just like, you know, just impromptu. Just Here, let me give you the whole history of Israel. And he wasn't a preacher or anything. He was a deacon in the uh, church at Jerusalem. But it said about him that those that opposed him could not withstand his wisdom and his spirit. He had the truth down and he had the right spirit when he was presenting the truth. And so that's what Romans is about in a nutshell, is just your doctrine and then your deportment. Okay, be sure you believe right, but make sure you live right while you believe right, or you're going to turn off a lot of people. So we look here at chapters 12, and it can be also outlined pretty easily at verses 1 and 2, our deportment toward God. Verses 3 through uh, 11, our deportment, or 3 through 13, our deportment towards the church. And then in verses 14 through 21, our deportment towards uh, society. And then you can go on through the rest of the book, and you can get into chapter 14, our deportment towards the government or 13 rather, our deportment towards the government, verses 1 through um, 7, and then our deportment towards uh, the lost, verses 9 through 14 of chapter 13, 
Chapter 14 and 15 deals with our deportment towards the weak and how those that are stronger in the Lord need to be towards the weak. And so we're not going to go all through that, but I'll just give you maybe a little bit of a taste of this to help you understand the book of Romans a little bit better. I want you to notice, number one tonight, our deportment toward God. And I'm just going to preach two of the points because we did some other things tonight that were important. But I notice our deportment toward God, verses 1 and 2, that is our, the way we uh, behave and conduct ourselves toward God, and then our deportment towards the church in verses 3 through 13. Maybe we'll get that far, we'll see. Verse 1 and 2, everyone should memorize these two verses, I think. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want to encourage you, if you're you're here today and say, I don't know what to memorize, start with those two verses. It it tells us how we should conduct ourselves before God. Verse 1 says we should present ourselves to the Lord. I I kind of think that's what Peter did this morning in our story. When Peter said to the twelve, will you also go away? You have a free will. I'm not going to force you to do anything. And Peter said in our story this morning, what? Where would we go? Thou hast the words of life. And I believe he was just presenting himself to the Lord. Has there been a time in your, your, your life as a believer where you've ever presented yourself to the Lord? Did you ever make it official? Did you ever make it official? You don't have to. But that was my experience once in a place called Ephrata, Pennsylvania, after I attended a missions conference in my brother's apartment. I just said, Lord, here is my life. I present it to you. It's a mess. I don't think you can use me in any way, but if you can, here I am. And uh, that day in his apartment there in uh, March of 1978, I just presented my 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 body to the Lord as a living sacrifice, and then went on to to pursue these things like holiness and being acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I just wanted to be reasonable. I hope you want to be reasonable tonight. I hope you want to say, Lord Jesus, if you died for me, you sacrificed your life for me. The only reasonable thing I can do then is to sacrifice my life for you. You saved me from hell. You saved me from sin. Uh, you saved me from everlasting separation from God. I can't thank you enough. You forgave me of all my sins, washed them all away in your blood, past, present, future. You'll never bring one up again. You made me your child. You birthed me into your family. You did all of that for me. By what you accomplished on a cruel, rugged cross at Calvary, you sacrificed your life for me. The only reasonable thing is for me to give my life to you. I hope all of you have considered that before, personally. Have you done your reasonable service and presented yourself to Jesus Christ? And then we need to turn our backs on the world. Be not conformed to this world, verse 2. 
And so we present ourselves to the Lord, and, and, and if it's going to be a holy presentation, a living sacrifice, we've got to turn our backs on the world. Be not conformed to this world. Wow. Uh, that takes the grace of God. Um, we, we don't want to be worldly. If we're friends of this world, it says we're adulterers and adulteresses in James chapter 4 and verse 4 in a spiritual way. Because when we're saved, born again, we, we become part of the, the body of Christ, the church of Christ, which is the bride of Christ. We're married to Christ. We're a spouse to Christ. Uh, the contract is already settled and pretty soon we will be physically together with Christ forever when uh, the Lord uh, uh, comes for us, for His bride, for His bride. But the world is portrayed as a wicked woman. And He says, be not conformed to this world. Don't be like this world. We don't have to act like this world. We don't have to dress like this world. We don't have to behave like this world. We don't have to talk like this world or sing like this world. Cheat like this world and all the other things the world does. Uh, in my conduct towards God, He does not want me. My deportment towards God, He does not want me to be worldly. But, verse 2, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So here's the key to making sure we're not being worldly. you got to do something. And that is the renewing of your mind. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed, as most of you probably know, comes from a Greek word, metamorphosis. And you know from science class that metamorphosis is that procedure whereby an ugly worm spins a cocoon, turns into a liquid, turns into a liquid inside that cocoon, and then through a tremendous struggle comes out a butterfly. Now, is that amazing or what? I don't want to get off into science again, but is that amazing or what? God can take ugly worms like us and just renew us. That word renewing there in verse 2 is the word renovation. How are we transformed? How are we changed from ugly to beautiful? And, and they say that like the monarch butterfly and all these other butterflies... For some reason, when they're struggling, it is the struggle to be free that brings about the beauty in their wings. And that if you help one get out of a cocoon, it'll never have the colorful beauty that it has. And so God puts us through some things, some hard times, and in that struggle, He makes all things beautiful in His time. Some of those beautiful Christians I know have been the ones who have been tested the hardest. Or the most. Or have the most difficult hardships in their life and they just come out and you're like, wow, look what God made out of him or her. But we're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now this is a blessing here because there's hope for your mind. There's hope for your mind. There's hope for your thought life. Have you ever, had, have you ever struggled there? Or is it just me? There is hope for God to renovate. That's what the word renewing there means. Renewing of your mind. So everybody can be saved, present themselves to God, let God begin to work on them, 
and can have a renovated mind, no matter what you put in your mind in the past, whether through your eyes or through your ears or whatever you thought in the imaginations of your heart, that can be changed. Jesus said, Now are you clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? And this is why we always stress, everybody, get in the word every single day. It has a cleansing effect. The washing of, of water and regeneration is by the word of God. And, and, and just, just reading the word of God cleanses us. Cleanses your mind. It makes you think different. Renovate your mind. And, you know, I, I, was, I tell you sometimes about David Berkowitz. I write to him. He's the, the old son of Sam Killer. That guy was in the, he was reading Anton LaVey's Satanic Bible. He was part of the, the Church of Satan. He was demon-possessed by a demon named Sam, who told him that, that uh, the devil requires blood. And so he went out and tried killing 16 people. He killed six of them. And uh, wounded ten others. Demon-possessed man. Absolutely demon-possessed man. And uh, he's very open about the history of his life and all the things that he put into his mind. Well, you look at a guy like that and say, there's no, no hope for him. He goes to prison. He's in prison for ten years. And a, a believer gets to him, starts witnessing to him. After 10 years, so it wasn't jailhouse religion. After 10 years, he converts to Christ. Well, this is 35 years ago. Now, I could bring you a stack of letters up here and let you read them that he's written me. And you would come to this conclusion, only a born-again Christian would know what he's saying in these letters. You don't, you don't figure that out in the carnal man. The carnal man, uh, you know, the, the, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. And so for 35 years now, since his rebirth, since he was born again, he's had this amazing transformation where he's a chaplain's assistant in his prison. He'll never get out. He's got 300-something years more to go. He doesn't want to get out. He was offered a parole hearing by Governor George Pataki. He refused it. He said, not after what I did. He said, there's still victims out there. I don't deserve to be paroled. And, uh, but for 35 years, he's been a new creature in Christ Jesus. How? Verse 2. He's transformed by the renewing of the mind. He got into the Word of God and he started reading it and reading it and reading it and reading it and reading it. And there's nothing too hard for the Lord and there's nobody too hard for the Lord. And he can change the way we think. That's important because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he as a woman thinketh. So maybe you're in a, 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 a progression of wrong thoughts right now and you, you want to be free. You've got to get into the Bible every day. The Bible will renew, it will renovate your mind. You know what renovate means? It means just to change something completely, renovate a house, renovate a car. You just get all the old stuff out. And I don't know if you've ever seen guys renovating houses or not. They just, first day they go in, they start whacking away with sledgehammers. It's wild to watch. I guess women do it too, so I don't know. But uh, you ought to see somebody just renovate a house. You learn a spiritual lesson from that. And then by the time they're done, you're like, wow, this is nice. God can do that in our minds. 
And that is the only way we can not be conformed to this world is by knowing what the Word of God says. He renews our minds that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So no matter what we were in the past, God can take us and stick us in the perfect will of God and we can finish strong and do God's will. Some people fear, like I can never do God's will. Well, let God decide that. Let God decide that. You just present your body to Him and let Him change you from being worldly to being transformed, metamorphosis, and see if He doesn't make something beautiful out of you and me compared to what we once were and see if we can't accomplish His perfect will. God has a will for every one of your lives. Everyone, there's not an exception in this room. God has a will for your life. And this world is not worth missing that for. Now, second of all, we see our deportment towards the church. Our deportment towards God, our conduct, our behavior towards God plants us in the church, plants us in the body of Christ. We're not supposed to be mavericks out there just on our own, doing our own thing. God has a plan for us, and and part of that is the local church. And it starts in verse 3 with us being humble. Humility ought to be a lifelong pursuit of every one of us. Especially as church members, we should bring humility to the body of Christ with us. Verse 3 says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, everybody has the measure of faith. Everybody's faith is at a different level. If you have a lot of faith, do not get big-headed and think you're better than others in the body of Christ. Because there was a time you and I didn't have a lot of faith, but that grew proportionately to our association with the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Those in Thessalonica, it says, your faith groweth exceedingly. What a wonderful testimony. But don't think of yourself more highly, especially those of you that have been saved for 20 or 30 or 40 years and you're seeing the babes in Christ coming in and they're asking the most rudimentary questions. Don't start saying, well, you don't know that. You didn't either. I didn't either. I used to think, you know, my preacher, Pastor Bob Eschbach, who led me to Christ, I used to listen to him like, just was this guy born a living Bible or something? Or the scriptures just flow through him? How do you, no, well, he'd been in Christ for 40 years, you know, by that time. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man. The measure of faith. You start thinking highly of yourself, you're deceived. Galatians 6.3 He that thinketh he's something when he's nothing deceiveth himself. He's delusional. We're all nothing. That's all we ever have been or all we ever will be. Verse 4 for as, many, for as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office He's talking now about the local church. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. That's precious. And so because of that, 
in verses 6 through 8, regarding our deportment towards the church, you must find out which of these seven gifts now is yours. These are what we call the ministry gifts. There's other lists in the New Testament like the revelation gifts where the Lord used things back then like the gift of tongues, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and he was revealing the word of God. The Holy Spirit gave revelation gifts at one time, but now we believe the Bible's completed. We don't need the revelation gifts anymore, but we need the ministry gifts. And there's seven ministry gifts now recorded here in verses 6 through 8. Having then gifts differing according to the grace which is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. That's the preacher preaching. Uh, You don't preach outside of your faith. You preach what you know. And then you go back the next week, try to learn something more. So you can preach. And then, uh, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. And so there's the gift of ministry there. Uh, where we care about other individuals. And we should wait on our ministry, kind of like a server waits on a table at a restaurant. He that teacheth on teaching, we need teachers, we need the gift of teaching in the church. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation, these are they that have the ability to counsel and encourage people. We need those that have that gift of counseling and encouragement. Some don't, some are not patient enough to do this. Uh, but others have that gift, and they, they know how to take the Word of God and take it to an individual's specific problem or fault or sin in their life and counsel them or, or, or get them out of financial messes or help their family or help their marriage. We need those that are counselors. There's givers. Uh, We praise the Lord for those who have the gift of giving. Let them do it with simplicity, not with a big fanfare and pomp and circumstance. But they give, they they give with simplicity. And and these kind of people often finance uh, tremendous works in the body of Christ. He that ruleth with diligence, God has rulers in the church. The Bible says the bishop. Uh, is supposed to rule the house of God. He's supposed to give diligence to it, really pay attention to the order and the organization of the local church. And he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness, these are the caregivers that can spot somebody maybe who has fallen and uh, or, or is suffering Uh, or is mourning, and they can go up and show mercy uh, with them. Now, that, that, that study there could take months, just taking those things apart. But everyone has a gift, at least one, in the body of Christ. Some have two or three. And then others that you don't have, you can at least, you and I can at least work towards having them and doing the best we can. I'm not the most merciful man. Uh, That's certainly not one of my gifts, but it's certainly something that I've tried to work towards for people who are mourning or hurting or sick, uh, you know, showing mercy towards them. So that's our deportment in the body of Christ. We've got to find out what our gifts are and use them. And then it says in verse 9, it, it, it goes on, it says, Let love be without dissimulation. Uh, 
That big word is almost synonymous with the word hypocrisy. Let love be without dissimulation means let love be without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. I love you, brother. Ever hear someone say that? I love you, brother. How? What is love? That's a, I like that question. What is love? People are talking about love all the time. Well, love is love. No, what is love? I mean, it's defined by so many different facets in the scriptures. It's a lifelong study uh, to really put your finger on what love is. But it says, let love be without hypocrisy. Don't say to somebody, I love you, brother, if you don't. You know, we need to love people. And some, especially, this is where Christianity gets hard. Especially when there's somebody you don't like. And God says, I don't care if you don't like them or not, you love them. And man, that's when Christianity gets hard. That's when it gets hard. Because you say, boy, I do not like this person. I don't know why. There's just some people that grate us, grate our nerves, and you do the same to others, and so do I. Uh, But some people put up with us, and we need to love them without dissimulate, without hypocrisy. And boy, my prayer is constantly, Lord, this person, I know some of you start thinking, is he talking about me right now? But there are some people that I say, Lord, I got to go, and 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 and, and I, I can't avoid this this uh, meeting. I need your love. I got to have your love. And boy, God, God has helped so much. Well, let's go quickly here. Abhor that which is evil. Verse nine. Abhor that which is evil. You know the word abhor. Uh, the last three letters horror refers to horror. Uh, this was an interesting study I had this week as I was trying to uh, study out what the word abhor means. Abhor that which is evil. And this word abhor here uh, means to have horror towards that which is evil. Boy, we sure could use a revival in this. We've gotten used to the dark. We've gotten used to evil. I mean, the average TV show now or commercial, if that was shown to the unsaved 50 years ago, they would be in shock and they'd be grabbing their kids' eyes and closing their eyes and saying, let's get out of here. By the way people talk or dress or what their behaviors are involved in, but we've gotten used to it. It says, abhor that which is evil, which means we are supposed to have horror towards something that is evil. Man, where are we? Yikes, where are we spiritually nowadays? Where are we? Cleave to that which is good. Word cleave, Greek word glue. I didn't know that either until I was studying this week. It means glue. It's It's the Greek word for glue. Cleave to that which is good. Be cemented to that which is good. I mean, if the Bible's good, be glued to it. If prayer is good, be glued to it. If the church is good, be glued to it. Uh, You know, love and forgiveness and all those things. Anything that is good, kindness, be glued to that. Be inseparable. From that, so we got to find out what good is, and then be glued to it. Be kindly affection one to another, 
with brotherly love. That's Philadelphia. Greek, in honor, preferring one another. So we're not supposed to think ourselves more highly than we ought to think in verse 3. And now here in verse 10, in honor, preferring one another. It sounds like Philippians chapter 2 and uh, verse number 3 where it says that we should esteem others better than ourselves. Esteem others better than ourselves. Now that's un-American, but it's Christian. And we should think, you know, these, these, she's better than I am. She's better than I am. Can you look for traits in other people? Try that sometime. I try to do that. I said, boy, I could never be like that person. That's just amazing. Uh, how they can do that or, 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 or this and so on. A lot of times when I go to nursing homes, hospitals, I look at the, the people working there and, and, and thinking, they, boy, they do this every day, all day. I, I couldn't do this for five minutes. They're better than me. And that sounds so un-American to think that way, but it's Biblical. Biblical. What a church it would be if everyone thought, boy, this, they're, they're better than me there. But uh, I'm going to go in and, and try to do what I can to help. Now concerning the Lord's work, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, verse 11. And concerning our deportment in the church, rejoicing in hope. Hope is expectation. It's perfected faith. Uh, hope is when your faith has grown so much you know it's going to happen. Expectation, rejoicing in that. Oh, I, I know this, you know, we prayed for this or something, it's going to happen. Patient in tribulation. Well, we like to see things perfect at all times. And when tribulation comes, we want that over with as fast as possible. But it says patient in tribulation. Continuing. Instant in prayer, verse 12. And this is, uh, just means at all times. Uh, I believe it's a military reference, continuing instant, just like a, a, somebody in the military on duty is, you know, uh, aware and, and constantly on duty. Uh, this is saying continuing instant in prayer. In other words, our prayer duty is never over. It could be 2 o'clock in the morning, God wakes you up and says, I need you to pray for these people here and this and that and the other and continuing instant in prayer instead of fighting it. And all day long while you're driving around, He's going to prompt your heart with somebody to pray about or something to pray about. And I'll say, oh yeah, I forgot Kelly's over there in Ecuador or whatever this week comes up. And boy, yeah, tonight you're going to wake up and say, oh my, Monique's in the air somewhere on her way to Liberia. God, give her grace. Give her that physical, emotional, mental, spiritual strength she's going to need every day to do this. God, help her to lead children to Christ. Give her your power. Continuing instant in prayer. Oh, we got missions conference coming up. Lord, maybe you could call somebody out of our church to surrender to be a missionary. And this person's sick. Oh, yeah, Jean's got radiation today. I better pray for her. Girl's got cancer, five years old. Boy, Lord, what, what, what are the parents thinking? Help them. Distributing to the necessity of saints. We'll stop here, verse 13. That's... Benevolence are what we call alms, and we'll be bringing a message in October about a new direction our church is taking 
in benevolence and alms, so I'll, I'll pass on that tonight. But uh, saints who have necessities, the church should try to help. Given to hospitality, that's lodging, uh, friendliness, um, having people over for meals, what the Bible calls banquets, uh, kindness, uh, given to hospitality. And even a couple of weeks here, I don't, don't know where we're at. I haven't talked to Pastor Seth on this, but I think there's a couple of families still looking for lodging maybe. I'm not sure if we got that covered. I know, I'm sure one of you would love to take a family with six kids and, and have them all week in your house or whatever. But I think we got, I think we got a couple of families that need lodging yet. We don't have Charity House yet back. Um, Pastor Barron, that's been such a blessing to them since a year ago, July. But it uh, looks like they bought a house in Gowanda, but they, they won't be out of it until after Missions Conference. But um, it's all right. We're not going to rush them. Uh, some of you are very good at hospitality and lodging people. You need to let Pastor Seth know if uh, you can help. But then it switches, then at verse 14, deportment towards society. And, and we're, we're going to stop there, though, tonight. And um, But... Uh, it's, this has been kind of like buckshot, you know, just all kinds of subjects uh, that have been covered in this text in our deportment towards God and our deportment towards the church. And I hope God has reminded you of something tonight. Uh, as he reminded me as I was going through uh, this text again that, hey, Art, you've got to sharpen things up here in this, this statement and that statement and that statement. You're forgetting this. You're overlooking this. And so I hope God has maybe brought you to uh, a reminder of some things uh, as we pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word tonight. And uh, Lord, help us in our deportment towards thee to give our lives to you, which is reasonable. And uh, then not to be conformed to this world. What a waste that would be uh, to be conformed to this world. Transform our minds. Help every one of us. Lord, to get into the Word of God, which makes us clean. Lord, if you can transform the mind of a David Berkowitz in this day and age, you can help every one of us who is struggling with our thought lives today. Uh, help us, Lord. Help the young people who are struggling with their thought lives today as, as just things rage in their, 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 their beings uh, at this time of their life. Uh, God, give them grace. And uh, Lord, help us to be transformed uh, into something beautiful in your time. And then thank you for the church. Lord, help everyone to know their gift, what it is, to use it soberly, to use it humbly, and, and just try to help the body of Christ. So Lord, thank you for your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn in our hymn books to close the service, singing page 317. What a good song to go into the new week with. But as we're singing, if you need to pray, maybe there's one little statement uh, down through verse 13 that just stuck out and say, boy, I've got to get that thing sharpened up. And you might want to come to the altar and just pray about that one little statement God showed you tonight in that text. Won't you come and pray or pray for others? Let's stand together, 317. What a friend we have in Jesus. If you need to say, be saved, come on. 